This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome back to Content Pros. Today, we have a really exciting podcast with one of my favorite guests. He's actually been on this podcast before, Andy Crestadina from Orbit Media. And Andy knows Tyler well. He knows me well. We actually hung out in Toronto earlier this year at uh, the Content Experience, which is a conference we did. And it's funny, I remember back to that time, uh, we had a fun little game that Jay Bear, who's you know behind this podcast in many ways, he did this family feud experience and one of the questions was what's one of the top formats that people go with today and we all kidded at the fact that the number one answer was blog right but the reality is we're all still obsessed with blog regardless of you know Tyler will tell you video I'll tell you other formats that my team is experimenting with including interactive things these days but the blog is tried tested and true and you know what we're really excited about today is that Andy's going to help share with us a whole bunch of insights from a survey he did with over a thousand bloggers I, I don't know about you, Tyler, but I'm pretty pumped for this. Well, I, I am. And to, to expand on what you were saying, I got to be one of the uh, the, the, the participants in the content feud. And, and the funny thing was, beyond blog post, every other answer was a type of content that could actually be put out in a blog post. And so it was almost like, you know, it really was, um, you know, eye opening to think about how important, um, you know, our blogs have become as a way for us to, you know, get our message out there to establish thought leadership, but most importantly, drive inbound interest into what we do with the rest of the world. So Andy, would you mind uh, maybe kicking things off by introducing yourself and uh, um, maybe giving us a a really quick elevator pitch on how things have changed in your last, uh, what has it been, 10, 15 years at, uh, at Orbit Media. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders. Uh, it's even older than... I'm, I'm old. Uh, we started in 2001. Uh, it was just two of us, me and my buddy from high school and roommate from college. Uh, and we build websites. We're like a digital agency, but in the niche of, of the platform. So we design and program websites. There's 38 of us. We focus on Chicago. But I've been doing content marketing for like 10 years. I do lots of uh, speaking and teaching and writing and and that and Randy just mentioned that he and I were both uh, on the same stage at, at uh, Content Experience in Toronto recently, so yeah, um, a lot has changed in all of our approaches to uh, to content and content promotion, and uh, and so this um, one of the formats that I love and it didn't come up in the Family Feud format, but um, one of the things that I love to do is publish research and you just mentioned it, it's a dominant form in terms of. Uh, making you into the primary source and making your site into, um, you know, giving you something totally original. So uh, several times a year we publish original research, but the big one is the annual blogging survey where we ask a thousand bloggers 12 questions. This is the fourth year doing it, and I've got tons of new data and insights to share if you'd like. 
Super cool. I think um, so. There, there's a couple fun things here. So yes, we want to dig into what you found in your surveys, and then maybe a little bit later we'll talk more generally about research because I, I think research reports are phenomenal for you know fresh content that we can put out there. So let's start with um, with your survey and with the research you guys are doing out there. So you've been surveying you know more than a thousand bloggers uh, as you said for a few years now, and uh, it sounds like this latest one is is hot off the press. So um, maybe let's start with don't pick your your favorite one. We'll save that for after the commercial break. Um, but maybe start with your your second favorite uh, question that you guys ask in that survey that um, has revealed an interesting trend or uh, a surprise uh, in terms of what's happening out there in the world of blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when we come back from the break, I'll drop the the uh, the biggest insight, which is fascinating. There you go. But um, but but the thing that we did with that we wanted to uh, the original answer we wanted to discover was um, how long does it take to write a blog post. So when you ask a thousand people for the general time frames of how long it takes, and then you average those time frames out and across the, all those number of respondents, this year thirteen hundred and seventy plus respondents, um, the answer to how long it takes to write a blog post is three hours and twenty minutes. So there, you heard it here first. Uh, that is um, newly published, or maybe depending when this goes live, unpublished data. But interesting, right? And we saw that go live 2014 or go up. 2014, it was two hours and 24 minutes. Now it's three hours and 20 minutes. It's amazing. People are just spending a lot more time on a typical post. They're also writing longer posts. I've got data on how many words are the average. They're spending more time working with editors. Uh, basically, just the investment in content uh, has gone up. And as we chart that over time, you can see exactly how much. Really interesting. So is that, you know, the... Uh, the optimist in me thinks that that's because we're focusing more on content quality than we are content quantity and, you know, focusing more time on research and developing it and maybe doing like two to three phenomenal blog posts per week rather than, you know, four or five mediocre blog posts per week. Um, is there any indication as to the quantity of posts and whether that's a correlating factor or am I just, again, a, a naive optimist? You asked just the right question. It's we're, what we're looking for is correlations. So uh, right now we're doing analysis to see what correlates with bloggers who self-report strong results. Um, but with the other data we have is about blogging frequency. And when we first started doing the survey, there were uh, a lot more people who blogged um, several times a week compared to several times a month. And that has reversed. Today, there are more bloggers who are publishing several times a month like bi-weekly compared to several posts per week. So uh, when, over the last, you know, since 2014, 15, 16, and then this year, you can see the shift into reduced frequency. Now that's per blogger. So it doesn't necessarily mean that each publication is publishing less often. Uh, it just means that the contributors to those publications are reporting a lower frequency. But right there, as the length uh, time to write increases, the length of the average post which is 1,100 words. As that increases, the frequency goes down. So yeah, I mean, it's a we all have a finite amount of time and energy, so it's right there in the data. So I'm curious, as, as you say that, and Tyler, you kind of hit on this earlier that you know there's so many different formats that can be served up as a blog, but I wonder how people's definition of a blog is adapting today as well, right? I mean, I think sometimes when we create an interactive assessment or a video, the question is, do we consider that blogging? And I and I even wonder how much that does to increase the amount of time we're putting towards some of these projects. Yeah, you can see it. That one of the questions is, what does a typical blog post include? 
And when we first asked the question, uh, it was only like 40, 48% of bloggers said multiple images. Today, 58% of bloggers include multiple images. So people are making their content more visual. Um, the percentage of people including video has increased, but pretty marginal. It's a um, uh, lists. Everything else is sort of the same. Um, I didn't ask the question about interactive content. So Randy, you're making me think that the next year we need to add that question. But um, people, the, the format and types of media that people are including in a typical post is also on the rise. So what about, I'm wondering how, what type of insight you also got in terms of consumption of all this blog content. You know, were you able to, to track anything in terms of the amount of time people are spending engaging in that content that people are creating? No, the sur- surveys are not ideal for that. Um, I've seen the Nielsen Norman Group has published some stuff on this topic where they just get access to tons of accounts and look at the you know, average time on page and try to chart changes over time. What we get in, in the survey is the self-reported uh, answer to the question, are you getting results? Are you getting results from your content? And uh, the answer uh, has has gone up. So the percentage of people who say that they get uh, strong results from their content um, has increased where, let's find it here. I think we have like a third of bloggers self-reporting that they get strong results from their content, um, which is up slightly. Uh, kind of discouraging though, there's a lot of bloggers that report that they don't know it's like 5% of people don't even know if they're getting results from their content. And some people report disappointing results. So um, general uh, self-reported engagement, if you if we trust the answers to the people, you know, assessing their own return, um, we see a marginal increase as in, uh, as a medium, uh, people are uh, investing a lot more in it and getting slightly better results. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you used that word before in terms of correlation. And, and I think, you know, to, to the point of investing more in creating these great pieces of content, which we want to do, the question that I think a lot of us have to wonder is what, you know, how do we measure, to your point, if there's success? And, you know, I've heard a lot of people these days talk about, you know, the, the number of pieces of content that people are consuming, the amount of time they're spent consuming that piece of content itself. But, uh, you know, Tyler, I, I mean, at Vidyard, how are you guys kind of tracking success around the type of engagement that you're driving from all your blogging efforts? Yeah, we, we look at, um, we certainly look at the engagement time, um, you know, the, the number of people engaging in different posts, um, though that's largely to understand the, the relative difference, right, to see which pieces of content seem to be performing and appealing to our audience. Um, they're not necessarily, we don't ever think of those as a measure of success, though, right? They, they help us sort of as, as indicators uh, with respect to topics and, and, and styles. Um, and then as we look at results, we, we've really focused at least ourselves over the last year or two of, um, you know, using the blog as a way to to influence and, and drive conversions, which for us is ultimately lead flow and, and pipeline. Um, now, we recognize a lot of our audience aren't necessarily potential buyers, um, but we've taken steps to make sure we can identify those who are and that we're adding calls to action to our blog posts and different conversion opportunities for people who are going to opt into that um, by adding some of those uh, conversion opportunities and optimizing those as we go. Um, we've started to find, you know, a lot more direct lead flow from our blog and equally important is yeah the ability to track it and see the trending is it moving in the right direction or not uh, in terms of contributing to uh, to net opportunities 
Cool. So, so back to you, Andy, back into maybe some of the research. And you alluded to the fact that, you know, some of the reasons that people are spending more time on a post has to do with, you know, the editing that's happening, the others that are being brought in. An area that I know you've got a ton of interest in and expertise in is, is around SEO. And I'm wondering, you know, I don't know if the data is going to show this, but I'm just wondering your perception on, you know, how much that's the responsibility of SEO is getting merged into the author versus other parties that are sitting side by side to help. Like, are are the content writers learning how to write for SEO right out of the gate? Mm-hmm. Well, the first year we asked, half of the bloggers reported that SEO is one of the tactics for driving traffic or one of the promotion channels. Uh, now almost two-thirds. So there are more bloggers who are saying that they're active in SEO. Um, we can, we would I would presume that what they're talking about is uh, researching key phrases, understanding if there's demand for that phrase and if they have a chance of ranking for that phrase, and then using the key phrase by indicating relevance for the phrase in the title, header, body text, and then using all the semantically connected phrases, basic semantic SEO. I don't know for uh, I think that there's you know, we can't assume that 100% of bloggers all really understand even that much. I think that there's, um, you know, when you get a big 1,300 people to fill out a survey, there may be people who, um, you know, have different understandings of what this means. Uh, you could be a blogger that's simply uh, building authority and links by doing outreach and writing bylined articles for your clients on authority websites. You know, there's all kinds of different types of SEO, including off-site SEO, and blogging can be part of that. You know, sort of guest blogging or digital PR drives SEO benefits. So yeah, uh, there are no promotion channels that went down. <laughs> People are paying more attention to driving traffic. So social media is 96%. Blog uh, SEO was 64%. Email marketing is now 58% of bloggers self-report email marketing as a um, and that's way up. Um, and then we get to influencer marketing, um, paid traffic. And here's where we um, have uh, maybe the biggest insight in the entire survey and um, ready, happy to unveil that anytime. Uh, well, I, I, think, I think you've just built up all this suspense. So why don't we actually take a quick pause? We're going to hear from a couple of the sponsors. This is like, you know, the game show type of experience where we're going to create drama Tune right back in here on Content Pros, and Tyler and Andy are going to disclose the big finding. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, reminding you that Content Pros is sponsored by Uberflip, a cloud-based platform that helps marketers like you create personalized content experiences to showcase the content you've created. You, not IT, you can create engaging content hubs that your audiences will love. I use it all the time. My team uses it all the time. With Uberflip, you'll deploy content faster, accelerate your lead gen, and enable your sales team with personalized content throughout the sales cycle. Go to uberflip.com pros, uberflip.com pros to find out how you can be a content pro by showing your company that the content experience matters. The show is also brought to you by my friends at Vidyard, the new generation video platform that helps you unlock the power of video today. Love, love, love Vidyard. Use it all the time. Super easy, interactive, personalized video experiences. You can boost your online conversion rates, track the true performance of your video content well beyond the view count. Visit vidyard.com today to see how you can use video to deliver better results across all of your marketing programs. Also wanted to let you know some super exciting news. We've just launched a brand new podcast, a companion to Content Pros. It's called 
Experience This, an unbelievable show all about customer experience and the brighter side of how companies interact with their customers. It's hosted by the amazing Dan Gingas and Joey Coleman. It's at experiencethisshow.com, experiencethisshow.com, or find it on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. You are going to love it. Each week has several different episodes, lots of multimedia, really interesting show. It is going to be a barn burner if you like content pros, you're going to love Experience This. Give it a listen, won't you? Thanks, as always, for listening to Content Pros. Now, back to the show. And ladies and gentlemen, we are back on Content Pros. Tyler and Randy here with Andy Crestadina. And uh, hopefully you were part of the first half of this conversation and heard us building up for the big reveal on the most interesting or top insight from this year's blog or survey of a thousand bloggers. Andy, why don't you pick up where we left off and uh, talk about one of those uh, most interesting insights that you found from this year's survey? Sure. So one of the things that we asked bloggers is how are they driving traffic to their content? What promotion channels are they using? Are they actively using to drive traffic to their content? And uh, what we found is that um, uh, people are using all different ways to drive traffic, and none of the channels are, dec are decreasing. Uh, but there's two channels that have increased the most by far. And it's not search, it's not email, and it's not social. It's influencer outreach and paid Influencer outreach and paid are by far the greatest increases. And this kind of, I fell out of my chair when I saw the data. So uh, the, the changes since 2014 uh, in influencer outreach and paid are, uh, for influencer outreach, it's gone up 68%. Uh, so a lot more people are doing influencer outreach. But listen to this. The percentage of bloggers who are buying traffic and using paid promotion as a tactic to... Um, uh, get visibility has gone up at 358%, right? It's almost four times as many bloggers are buying traffic now compared to 2014. So now one in five, one in five bloggers are buying traffic. That used to be one in 20. So we went from 4.5% using paid to 20% using paid, uh, giant increase there, uh, and and you guys can jump in on the analysis. Yeah, so there, right? I, maybe Andy, before we do that, you know, just for some of the people listening to this podcast who don't live in some of this terminology on a day to day basis, can you give us an example of each of those two buckets? So an example of you know something you've seen someone do well with influencer marketing and maybe similar in terms of paid. Sure, I'll give you this uh, a, a simple version of each, and then we can talk about maybe the more complex. A simple version of influencer outreach is you create a piece of content that you know someone who has a, a sizable social media following uh, who is relevant to the topic, and you reach out to them. You get a contributor quote from them. You include that contributor quote in the article that you wrote. And when the article goes live, you mention them when you share it, or you email them after it's live and say, hey, that quote you provided was great. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful. Here, the post is live, and they will presumably share it. You reached out to an influencer and included them in the content. For the record, Andy, I have done that with you before, I believe. I'm like, Andy, you got to share this post that I just wrote. So thank you for, for backing it up after. Powerful tactic. I recommend it. It's free. It's fun. Your content gets better. It's likely to get better social traction, and it's fun. The simple version of paid would simply to be boosting a Facebook post, right? Facebook's pushing you this direction. You know, it's a, you share it, you know, organic reach is like 1% or less. You click boost, you give it 10 bucks, and now you have greater visibility. 
There are much more sophisticated versions of influencer outreach and of paid promotion. Uh, there are entire agencies that all they do is manage monetary opportunities for influencers. And uh, paid promotion is a massive industry, right? It's the um, you know pay-per-click or social uh, social paid channels. Um, these people do these things algorithmically with software. I mean, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, as a blogger, um, influencer outreach might be just, uh, uh, collaborating with a semi-famous person in your niche and paid could be nothing more than, uh, buying social ads or PPC to, um, uh, you know, bid on the phrase that's relevant for your, your article. So I'm, I'm curious, um, as uh, I suspected that maybe the use of social and the the um, impact of advertising via social was probably you know one of those driving factors because I think three four years ago the notion of you know paying to advertise for content on you know Facebook or LinkedIn or otherwise just simply wasn't nearly as effective for for business uh, purposes. But I think over the last couple of years they've come a long way. Um, so that feels to me like that right link of you know their their the, the paid advertising. A lot of it is because you can do it on social and. You can hit people that are a lot more relevant. Um, as a follow-on to that, are people, um, are, are bloggers thinking about or changing the style or the length of their content, you know, contrary to the point earlier of things getting longer, are they writing blogs specific for different types of medium or is it always, okay, I'm writing this for my site. I'm going to use these different places to drive people in. Or are they starting to think about creating content that really is specific and optimized for somebody to consume on a social channel or to be a contributed piece um, that might be a longer form or it might be a video format that fits better over here. Um, is that something we're seeing or is it, is it still, I create one piece and then I just promote it in different places? Yeah, I, I don't have, um, uh, data for that. And I probably couldn't segment the list down far enough to see people who use which channel are, um, also writing which length or something like that. Uh, I can tell you that, um, most bloggers, like two thirds of bloggers are guest posting at least sometimes, which I found really interesting. It's right. guest posting did not go out of style. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of that exact thing you just mentioned, Tyler, which would be tuning the topic for the channel. For example, content that answers questions performs well in search. Content that's emotional or collaborative or visual does well in social. So I'm a big believer in aligning, you know, the the, the content with the marketing and the you know the promotion with the piece. But um, uh, I don't have I don't have data for that, but we have strong recommendations for that. Uh, not everything works well everywhere, right? We all yeah. know. Okay, cool, good. Yeah, and I didn't expect you to have hard data on it, but I think anecdotally it seems uh, it's interesting, and we're thinking about the same things within our own team of of how do we get out of the you know seven or eight hundred word article, and that is a, that's what a blog post is, right? Like, what are the different ways we can we can share our message and get the story out? But it could be shorter form, it could be video, and, and they can go in different channels. So um, now let, let me ask you, based on um, I know you may not have all the data yet uh, from this year's report, but just sort of at a high level from the report and, and your own perspective over the last few years, what are some of the, you know, maybe the, the, the top two or three things that, that those bloggers who are claiming to be successful and seeing big results, um, what are the correlating factors with respect to what they're doing, um, you know, and what are those maybe two or three things you'd suggest to any blogger to be thinking about if they want to be successful with their content? Yeah, we did find a correlation between bloggers who check analytics 
for performance of content and bloggers who report strong results. That shouldn't be surprising because if you don't check analytics, I don't know how you would know if you had strong results. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's definitely a correlation there. Uh, surprisingly, that there there's still a percentage of bloggers uh, who do not even have access to their analytics. Um, it's uh, it's a disturbing. Uh, it's a disturbing fact. Here we have five uh, percent of bloggers don't have access to analytics. Twelve percent of bloggers never or only rarely check their analytics. So that's going to correlate. Um, two two other things that we see that correlate is that uh, bloggers who write longer do tend to report stronger results. And I'm not this. It's hard to explain. Bloggers who publish more frequently also tend to report stronger results. So this, the data doesn't say um, we should all be reducing quantity. It it just says that uh, you know you can play this game in different ways. You know you can go deep and write authoritative stuff, and that's always been my tactic. Or just flood the zone. I mean that might work too. Yeah, I I, I like the approach. Obviously, you have Andy, and I I know you're very thoughtful, and you know, I, I I know you've given the example to me before of you know email me with any question. You know you won't just get a high level fluffy thing. You'll actually get a well thought out sometimes essay in the email format, which which I love about you know your approach. And I think also just thinking about what this may be pushing us towards is you think about like models like Jason Miller who talks about the turkey analogy or you know I know Andy you've used the term lifetime body of work um, and that you know we should work on these more pillar pieces and then leverage them for more content so that we get more out of them and more out of that initial effort versus continually trying to reinvent the wheel, if you will. So maybe for, for people's benefit as well, maybe you can help explain your model or, or your reference that you use around lifetime body of work and, and how that kind of connects to this blogging research. Yeah, the idea of elbow, if you spell it out, L-B-O-W, um, is that everything that we create we are contributing to what becomes our lifetime body of work. It's a part of that, of everything we've ever made. So uh, the tactic there is to, in advance of starting a giant content program, um, and it could be done as a company as well, uh, you make an outline of everything that's relevant or everything that you know or everything that you plan to create something on. And now you have an outline of what becomes later a table of contents, which becomes later a book. So the idea of documenting in advance and creating that Wikipedia for your brain is that uh, as you blog, you blog into a book because you had structure and forethought and planning and persistence. So uh, a lot of people who write books sort of um, were just content marketers, and they did so gradually over time while producing content for other channels. The idea of updating content and pillar content, this is actually my, you know, if I have a second favorite tactic beyond just collaboration like we're doing now, uh, it's to update older stuff. That pillar piece that you made two years ago, maybe super authoritative, maybe 20 sites linked to it, maybe it almost ranks high, uh, maybe it would get great conversions if it just got a little love. So one thing I taught at the content experience is this tactic of going back and finding those posts that can get the greatest benefit, either they almost rank high or they convert well, uh, and updating those pages without changing the URL. So take something that you did before. This is more for a more advanced or more senior marketer who's been doing it a while. Uh, Vidyard, you guys, uh, Uberflip, we all have lots of content on our sites, but do you have a way to go back and audit and see uh, where the smallest effort would give you the greatest benefit? 
so I'm, I'm, I have several ways of doing this and the results are huge. Just update old stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, one of the ways that we often teach people here at Uberflip in terms of how to think about that is to actually think about your visitors, right? Think of them as cohorts. So whereas most of us organize our web page with chronological lists of content we created over the years, the reality is, is just as we go to Google and we're not making it to page two of the results, Neither is our audience the first time they come to our blog or come to our site and then want to explore our blog. So we almost have to think about featuring the content that's going to have the most impact the first time that that visitor comes to engage with us. And to your point, Andy, sometimes that's an asset that we created two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've got a, a great example of that. And, and maybe this will uh, hit it home for the audience. So we in looking back, we found that a couple of years ago, we wrote a blog post on how to create a great Halloween video. So we're a video technology platform, right? A lot of our content is very, you know, very uh, deep. And um, this is more of a fun one on tips for creating a Halloween video. And we found, again, over the years that it it had built up quite a following. And uh, we did exactly that, Andy. We updated the post uh, for last Halloween and uh, juiced it some more. And, you know, we're going to do the same thing again, very timely for this year. And uh, it's one of those things, to your point, it it would have gotten buried and, and lost over time. But it's now something that, you know, sort of continues to be at the top of our list in terms of greatest engagement with our audience, which is uh, which is great to see. Yeah. So, do you have the URL? Does the URL stay the same year after year? Yes. Yeah. URL stays the same, and uh, we tweak the content. And we took the approach of noting um, that the article. So we do put in a a small point that the article was originally published, um, you know, in a previous date, uh, and then uh, and that it has been updated, um, which is just sort of a, a styling choice that we made. Yeah. Well, two things that you learn if you start doing this is one, it may benefit you to not have a date appear on your blog post through programming, right? Right. Yes. Your blog template maybe give maybe gives you the option to add that, or you can just add it in the text or right under the headline. So I like blogs that give the blogger the option if they're publishing evergreen content to not show a date. I know readers might like it, but as a marketer, you might get better results by not showing the date. Agreed. And, and then the second thing is in your URLs. Don't put numbers in URLs. Don't put dates in URLs. If it's 25 tips, don't put the number 25 in the URL because you might update that in a year and a half and now it's 32 tips. Bummer, your URL says 25. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, I think for a lot of us, we, we sometimes overlook some of these obvious tips, right? But you know, think about it. And we were just talking about repeat content. And it's funny, as you were telling that story, Tyler, of this video for Halloween, all I could think is like, I think it's Jimmy Kimmel or someone like that who does like, I ate all your Halloween candy. Isn't, isn't that the guy who does that? Right. And, and every year my kids search that. Right. And the beauty is, is that Jimmy Kimmel is just like building this, you know, library of content tied to that on YouTube that my kids sit there for hours on. Right. And, and they, you know, essentially binge on it. I think what we're all talking about is very obvious things that we have to think about pulling into our content strategies where we make it easier for people to find the things that they're looking for um, so that they rise to the top. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, these things become clear a bit later on for the for people who are just starting out and maybe have been producing content for just a year or two. Uh, it may not it may not be obvious there at first. But everything we're suggesting, these are long-term tips, right? Your lifetime body of work, creating that outline, URL structure, uh, the program of the blog, publishing original research. Uh, these are things that give you a really durable advantage. And 
you know, here we're, it's fun. I like this. We're sharing the, the forethought type things that will make a bigger impact uh, for people who um, lay better groundwork now. So Andy, we're running out of time here. I want to get a couple of things from you. One, I want to make sure people know where they can find this this uh, report that you've put together that we we've really been you know binging on here for the last half hour. But we also get to like to get to know our guests on the on the podcast. And you know, I usually like to dig into people's background. And I'm trying to remember last time you were on the show what I asked, and I don't want to be repetitive. So you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually continue on this Halloween theme because you know we're in the month of Halloween when this podcast is going live and I'm kind of killing its evergreen aspect by saying that but uh, what are each of us planning to be for Halloween and if you haven't thought that far yet you can share like your best Halloween costume of all time <laughs> I've had some good ones uh, I think that we had the idea the idea the other day uh, my wife and I have a little baby and um, uh, we were talking about dressing him up as an animal and he sees little rabbits in the neighborhood, so bunny may make sense, which goes with another semi-topical idea here. Uh, now, the late great Hugh Hefner uh, passed away. I'm thinking of getting like a like a silk bathrobe and uh, walking around with my one-year-old dressed as a rabbit. <laughs> that's a, that's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, Tyler, you're up next. I mean, I don't know what you're gonna do. <laughs> Yeah, I can't uh, can't top that. But uh, I, I mean, I've been into uh, character costumes for the last little while. Having um, yeah, I have, have a number of, of young children. So last year, I was Luigi, and my uh, my five year old was uh, Mario, and and that was super fun. Uh, I actually just played the uh, the Super Mario s- song. The dude. Do, 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 on repeat on my smartphone in my pocket the entire day. People loved it. Uh, <laughs> and this, I think this year we're looking at uh, a Star Wars theme because we got the Chewbacca mask last year. So it just uh, screams to be Chewbacca. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, we, we actually haven't, I, I started to say the question, I'm like, we haven't done anything yet, my wife and I, to figure it out. But I'll, I'll reminisce back to like the, the ability to just do an impromptu one, right? And I remember this was like in university and me and my roommate at the time, we just got back and we're like, oh, we don't have a costume to go out. So we both went into the cupboard, we grabbed sheets and yeah, we were just gonna do the toga thing, right? Like the easy fallback. Uh, but sure enough, we only had one white sheet. So I grabbed the green sheet and you know, he looks at me and he's like, you look like the Statue of Liberty. So we just like fully embraced it, made the crown. I had this, uh, uh, milkshake maker that was my scepter and the beauty was everyone just filled it with beer all night so uh, you know I, I think you just have to go with the flow sometimes with these things uh, that's excellent <laughs> I love it share a I, I, I hope it doesn't exist <laughs> well I mean Randy in the spirit of this conversation you could very much you know bring it back to life uh, multiple times multiple years absolutely yeah. <laughs> guys this has been a blast Andy we did not get that URL from you where, where could people potentially find this or how could they just search for it and find it uh, it, it's going to be on the Orbit Media blog. So everything I do, most things I do are at orbitmedia.com slash blog. Uh, it, this is going to live probably forever at this URL, orbitmedia.com slash blog slash blogging dash statistics. We're going to put it there. Uh, just search for blogger trend or blogger survey. You'll probably find it that way. 
but that's the place I publish anyway. I write an article every two weeks. And anyone's welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn or anywhere. Awesome. I'm awesome. Note, note everyone how he didn't say slash thousand bloggers surveyed. Um, so this has been great. We'll, we'll make sure we get that in the show notes. And anyone who's enjoyed this podcast with Andy, you know, there's a lot more great content that we have at contentprospodcast.com where you can check you know, a whole bunch of uh, other podcasts with Tyler and I. On behalf of the two of us, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been a Convince and Convert podcast, and we hope you join us again on Content Pros. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.